You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. The fight-or-flight response, also called the acute stress response, was first described by Walter Cannon in 1927. We have learned a great deal about fear in the last 80 years. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Leslie Lunt, and with me today is Dr. Kai McDonald. Kai practices in beautiful San Diego, where he is assistant clinical professor of both family medicine and psychiatry at the University of California at San Diego. His practice includes acting as a teaching physician on the consult liaison, emergency room, and inpatient psychiatric units, part-time private practice, and he acts as medical director of clinical trials. Dr. McDonald is board certified in both family medicine and psychiatry. Welcome. Thanks. So, Kai, I've heard you call anger and fear the sympathetic emotions. Can you tell us about that? It's a little bit of a play on words uh, because both of these involve what, what's known as the sympathetic arm of the autonomic nervous system, which is if you think about them, uh, in a lot of people's minds, they're separated, but they're both activating emotional responses to threat. And so at a brain level, they have a lot of similarity. I'm not quite sure I understand that. So anger, fear, threat, all the same thing? When, you, when anybody is threatened, and we think about our soldiers uh, in uh, Iraq, for example, uh, when anybody is threatened, your brain generates an activating response. And that activating response, depending on your history or your gender and the nature of the threat, can be either fear, which, evo- which is the flight part of fight or flight, or fight, which is the fight part of fight or flight. So there's different um, differences in which will get activated. There's a relationship in that they're both activating emotions. At the brain level also, they both probably involve the amygdala, which is a really important emotion. So how does the emotion of fear relate to anxiety disorders? That's a great question. The DSMR organizing manual for anxiety disorders to me is sometimes a little bit challenging because it really parses things out that sometimes you can lump together. The emotion of fear activates a common pathway of physical responses, um, perceptions, and, and so underneath a lot of the anxiety disorders are similar brain circuits and physical experiences. So they're somewhat overlapped, but as we know, the DSM, which is where you get the idea of anxiety disorders, uh, splits things in different ways. So when you look at basic emotions, you can be a lumper and, and not a splitter so much. So let's talk about panic disorder as an example. How does this theory fit in with panic? Good question. The understanding of panic disorder relates to a couple of uh, interesting dynamics. Some people think that panic has to do with fear of losing breath, but there's another whole area, and this relates a lot to um, uh, to our human relationships, which is looking at uh, panic disorder related to separation distress. Uh, I think of a lady I was uh, working with the other day who um, had a, a loss of a child and had physical sensations akin to a panic attack. And, you know, when you understand that relationship loss activates some of the panic circuitry, you can make sense of that. For her, the correct intervention was not a benzodiazepine or an SSRI, but was helping her process her loss. But you can help uh, understand, you know, situations like that when you, you know, get that fear and relationships and emotion, and then the disorders we treat have a lot of similarity. So when we look at uh, the biology of fear especially, you know, people tend to, to look at it from both directions, um, from the top and, and from the bottom. Can, can you tell us a bit about that? 
that's a, a really nice perspective because when we're talking about emotions, we're talking a lot about the bottom, and the bottom refers to the old parts of the brain, the reptile parts that have to do with heart rate, respiration, GI activity. And as anybody who sees patients with somatization problems knows, these are the areas that people's emotions impact in their body. The top part is the part that we, a lot of us try to engage um, with psychotherapy, with distraction, and probably with relationships that has to do with the front and top parts of the brain that thankfully um, send quieting or inhibiting signals down to those lower parts. So sometimes, you know, we think about with medicine, we work on these bottom parts to quiet them down. And with therapy and relationships and, um, and probably human support, we work on the top parts that kind of quiet the, the system down that's too active below. Uh, you mentioned before the soldiers in Iraq and, and the constant level of fear that they may operate under. Um, certainly that can lead to post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. Um, what can emotion science tell us about the relationship between fear and trauma? Part of what emotion science tells us is that once you create these fear-based scars in the brain and mind, those are as real as a scar in the body. And uh, for a lot of these unfortunate folks, uh, those scars never go away and they experience them as if they're in an acutely fearful environment when they're not. I think a lot of us have seen this in film and other areas. And then there's this nice concept of resiliency that they're looking at, which is what's protective to help people go through these terrible situations and, and allow them to come out of it and grow and heal. So there is a hopeful side uh, to this as well, looking at the brain um, circuits that make people more resilient. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is family practitioner and psychiatrist, Dr. Kai McDonald. We're discussing anger and fear. So Kai, isn't anger a negative emotion? Leslie, I love that question because this uh, highlights something that I think I know I work with all the time uh, in terms of uh, psychotherapy is mixing up emotions, which are just brain activity or feelings and behavior. So certainly there's been a lot of human suffering because of what I call aggressive behavior, which is hurtful behavior. But actually, if you're getting hurt or you're the subject of an injustice, as Rosa Parks or you know, victims of abuse would say, anger can be you know, a very positive thing. Uh, I think a non-judgmental approach to thoughts and feelings is, is maybe the most empathic one. And how might this be either the same or different, I suppose, in patients that have mental illness? Obviously, a lot of mental illnesses cause difficulties managing the emotion of anger and even excessive experiences of the emotion of anger. This is where things get subtle. For example, a patient who's manic or hypomanic may be getting very angry, have their emotion circuits activated by very small things, and so it, it creates a, a challenge for practitioners to gauge, you know, is this appropriate, is this inappropriate, you know, does this need to be modulated or understood with medications or, or understanding? These are um, challenging questions. So is, is some of this more based on a person's temperament? That's a good question. When you're talking about temperament, you're talking about the way people are wired from birth. And I, I think the brain science would tell us that there are differences in the way people process different feelings, whether they go more toward fear or anger, uh, certainly gender-based, based on experience. Uh, I think there's unquestionable 
evidence that there are differences between people in those things. So how might this knowledge of emotion science create a, a solution? Let's say you, you're a primary care and you have a patient who's angry and in your office, um, maybe deservedly so or not deservedly so. In terms of our response to that angry patient in the moment, how would you handle that? I think I would first make the distinction as to if there's a safety issue or not. I mean, as we're talking about anger as if it's this non-judgmental thing, you know, I'm thinking yesterday of a person I saw in the emergency department who was uh, extremely manic and psychotic and leapt out of the bed like a lightning bolt. And uh, so she was both very angry and very dangerous. And so my intervention with, with her was to quickly run away and, uh, and administer medication. But, you know, in a lot of uh, more safe settings, it's remarkable what validating just that the person's angry feelings are justified can do. It immediately de-escalates the situation. Uh, It's a little bit of a trick because uh, oxytocin, which is a bonding uh, chemical, decreases aggressiveness. And it's probably true, although I don't know uh, about evidence for this, that being heard and understood is associated with oxytocin release. So telling someone, gosh, it looks like you're really angry, you know, do you want to talk about this, can immediately cause a de-escalation in the potential for aggressive behavior. So, so isn't what seems to be the escalating violence in the world just a symptom of anger gone amok? That's a very complex question. I'm not an expert in, in culture or politics or anything. But again, when, we're ta- when you and I are talking about anger, anger is uh, an emotional circuit in the brain that's critical to our survival. There are hurtful things out there. There are scary things out there you know, that we need protection for. So the, the anger, the emotion, often has uh, not that much to do with the societal and, and violence that we see. There are unfortunately a lot of complex factors with that. So, so let's uh, turn the tables here. Now, let's say that uh, as a, a busy, probably overworked physician, that hopefully rarely um, you may get angry at your patient. Um, what are we supposed to do with that anger? The first approach has nothing to do with patients and has to do with our understanding and acceptance of our emotional responses. Then, of course, this is where you, we get to uh, uh, the issue of thinking, which is where, you know, you, I think inside yourself you need to try to sort out, is this about the patient? Is this about something in my life? Certainly that's a signal that, you know, burnout is maybe uh, impending, but also that you're a human being who's uh, got needs and wants like your patients, and, and anger can be an important um, signal that those aren't getting met. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is from Mark Twain, who said, uh, when angry, count to four. Uh, when very angry, swear. Yeah, because again, I think as we're talking about emotions, these are, I, I liken them to the first chord of a song. These are immediate, very rapid responses. By the time you've counted, counted to four, you've allowed the engagement of all kinds of other brain circuits that help you make uh, mindful, thoughtful choices and not respond uh, based on uh, untrammeled emotion. So when anger be- becomes a problem, what role does medication have? I think I would divide this into patients with what I call, you know, severe mental illness, schizophrenia, and bipolar, and then, you know, arguably uh, the rest of the majority of patients. In those first two, schizophrenia and bipolar, I think, obviously, these are profound, destructive, you know, brain illnesses that necessitate medication, so that not so that anger is controlled, but so that behavior is modulated. For the rest of, of folks, angry behavior can be a symptom of depression. Angry behavior can be a symptom that you need to 
change your situation. Work less, play more, drink less, all kinds of stuff. So um, angry behavior, which is I think what we're talking about when we're talking about anger, can be a symptom of a whole variety of different things. And when does psychotherapy have a role? As anybody who's either done or been in psychotherapy knows, one of the emotions that you deal with a lot is, is angry feeling. Human societies have difficulty with it. And I think acquiring a non-judgmental um, acceptance of your emotional responses really helps you uh, understand other people. And, and a, a good concept uh, to take away is that anger is often a, res- a, a response to emotional pain. And that level of understanding helps us, I think, be more empathic when, you know, when we have angry feelings or when patients have angry feelings. Well, I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Kai McDonald. We have been discussing anger and fear. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.